like the young generation and energy and ideas to carry it forward. This is the Telecom Electronic Beats podcast, the podcast for music, culture and the new now. Hello, I am Lindy Delight and you are listening to a new episode of our ongoing podcast series. My guests today are two key players in the drum and bass scene, DJ Flight and Mantra. Besides being amazing artists with extensive music knowledge, they recently created EQ50, an initiative which initially started out to tackle gender inequality within drum and bass, but has developed into something much bigger. We spoke about EQ50, diversity, tokenism, and much more. I hope you enjoy. All right, so I would like to start off by welcoming welcoming you both here to the Electronic Beats podcast. I've been hearing a lot about the EQ50 initiative. Can you tell me a bit about the initiative and what inspired the conception of it? Um, I'm terrible with years, but I think it was 2018 now because we're in 2022. Um, so it kind of, it started really, um, the, the, the source of it was when, um, before I even had any idea to start up an initiative or a collective or I had no idea, fast forward, none of us did, that we would be where we are now. Um, but I had been thinking about how few women there were in drum and bass and how underrepresented we were. So I um, did a tally and I just randomly chose like three big record labels that put on loads of events. And I just went through them on their Facebook events, found flyers um, and tallied up how many of the artists were men and how many were women and then worked out a percentage. And it was really quite shocking. I included Rupture as well. That's the event that I run with my partner. Um, and even for us, it was pretty crappy. I, th I think it was 17%. But, you know, the others were like 0.05%, you know, or like 1%. <laughs> um, and it was it was quite shocking. So I posted them online um, and it got quite a lot of traction. I think um, other areas of electronic music, uh, particularly with like house and techno, um, you know, I was looking up to uh, uh, disc women and what they were doing um, in America and thinking that's really cool how they're kind of working towards you know, more inclusivity and working with marginalised identities. Um, so they were definitely an inspiration. Um, and then from these um, stats that I put up, uh, I think how it went was Red Bull got in touch and invited us to do um, an event called Normal Not Novelty, um, where we would have uh, like three workshops going on, one on production, one on DJing and one on engineering. So in that in that event, on that night, there was Flight, Storm, myself and Kyrist and Jin. And it was just wicked. It was really good. And like, none of us had like, seen each other or been together for quite a long time. And it was only for women as well. And there was just this amazing energy that kind of got us thinking, well, maybe we should just do something. And there was never a grand master plan or anything before. You know, let's just do one event and let's just see what happens and how it goes. And it took us a long time to get that event together. <laughs> there was a lot of back and forth. What are we going to call it? What's the event going to look like? Um, and we did it at five miles, probably about six months after the Red Bull event. And it was fine. It was, it was fine. It, it was, you know, for, for us, it was like the turnout wasn't amazing. Um, I think we had about 30 or 35 participants, but the energy was just amazing. You know, there was a young mum with her baby who came. That's so wow. important for me. Yeah. Loads of young women. And, you know, in hindsight, we realised we could have done loads of things differently, but it just really spurred us to think, okay, you know what? Let's just link up and let's see, let's just get some ideas rolling together. Um, so that's kind of how it started. It was, it was, you know, like I said, there's never been this grand master plan. It's all been very organic. Right. And also we've been very cautious to go really carefully, really slowly because of the kind of back push against what we were doing and setting up a lot of eyes rolling. It's all about the music. Nothing else matters. Go and cry somewhere else. You're just not good enough. All that kind of stuff. So for <laughs> us, it was really important that everything was done with like integrity and, and done in the right way. And that's what it takes sometimes, you know, you get together and you have an idea and then it's the first one. And then from the first one, you start to see how you can do things differently. The other people that you can start contributing with and just ways to start developing yeah, it. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So for now is EQ50, It's there's other contributors, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, so there's yeah. Uh, four of us who are like the core organizers, um, myself and Mantra, uh, the co-conveners. Um, then we have Sweet Pea, who takes care of the EQ50, um, some of the socials, most of the socials, so Instagram and Facebook, and uh, MC Chickaboo is part of it as okay. well. Um, Jenna G's part of EQ50, not one of the core core members because she's been so busy singing pretty much every day <laughs> since um, events have started coming back. But yeah, she's part of it. Um, and Ali Cat was a part of the core team as well when we first started. But there's been other women involved as well. So um, like Mantra was just saying, um, telling you about the first event, there were quite a few women involved in that. And um, right. it felt really good because because there were so many women involved and it kind of spurred us on to want to do more. And it just felt nice to have like these different ideas and energies bouncing off of each other. Um, but then right. as time went on, it just became a smaller, a smaller crew of um, yeah the main organizers. And so how many events have you done since the first one? So we've done so we did the first one at five miles. The second one was at Fabric on their mezzanine, um, which I hosted a panel on being a black woman in jungle drum and bass that featured Robin Chaos, MC Chickaboo and Sherelle. That was really good. And then um, Nikki from Hospital did a session on getting the most out of your social media as an up and coming artist. Um, then we, our third event was a collaboration with Keep Hush. Okay. And um, it was like a workshop, but with a club event as well. It was like a, a series of really small pop-up events that they did at a small venue that was just about to be turned into a sports bar or something. And it was really nice in there, okay. really small um, in Dalston, like a basement venue. Uh, it could have been, it could have stayed as a really wicked venue. And that area is kind of crying out for small clubs again, because so many of them have closed down. Um, but that was cool. We had Yazas do like a production workshop and she broke down how she makes a tune, like what she, which um, site she uses for samples and how she writes the breaks and pads and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And then there was a club event, which I DJed Shiba Q, Ali Cat, and I think that might have been it. Was there? Oh, and Yazas played, of course, as well. So in 2020, um, you started a mentorship program. So how does one apply for the program? And what do you look for when you're choosing artists to mentor? Like what kind of criteria do you have? I think what we realized after doing the events that the events are good and they're useful um, and they're brilliant for networking and learning and all that kind of stuff. But there's quite there's quite a lot of people doing them already. And so we were thinking like, how can we really be the most effective? We don't just want to be women in this little corner of the industry working with women. And so we realized we need to work in collaboration with big established record labels um, to try and be industry wide. So the the we we'd been talking about it for quite a long time again it takes quite a while <laughs> sometimes for these ideas to really get off the ground you know and that's fine like these things do you know when when they're so right. important to you and it's 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 precious you know it means so much to all of us that it's it's fine if it's you know takes six months or a year to get off the ground as long as it's done in the right way so the pandemic hit it was all mm -hmm. such a crazy summer and I wasn't sure about it. I kind of felt maybe we should wait until clubs open up. And Natalie was the one that was actually, now's probably the best time because, um, you know, the clubs aren't opening and you know, the record labels, we have time to reflect. There was also, um, you know, the global civil rights movement of Black Lives Matter, which meant you couldn't shy away from um, diversity and inclusion and see what a huge issue that we had within our scene and just everywhere in society. So the mentorship, we just advertised it through our social media channels. Um, we'd reached out to the record labels, they'd all agreed. So we worked with V Recordings, Shogun, Shogun Audio, um, Function, Ram Records and Critical. And we just got them to share it on their channels. We shared it on our channels and we kept the applications open for a few weeks. We had close to a hundred applications. Um, and I have to say, I actually wasn't involved in the application process. I was in hospital because my baby came very early. <laughs> so Natalie, uh, bless her, and uh, Sweet Pea and Chikaboo um, and Ali Cat went through all the applications, which was a huge, huge task. And I think just um, made a shortlist. 
And then each record label, we gave them about five or six artists to choose from. Um, and then they, they whittled it down. There was, inter there was an interview process as well. Um, and yeah, that's how, how they got selected. Mm. We were really happy with the response, you know, because we weren't sure how it was going to be received, you know, because we'd felt some of the pushback already. I mean, the pushback from Mantra's initial stats that she released may have put some other people off, but we've become such a tight-knit crew and um, really close as friends and we kind of rely on each other. Um, and it's so nice that it kind of helps all of us keep pushing on, keep pushing on through with everything. Um, but yeah, to receive that many applications, we were quite gobsmacked um, for our first ever one. Um, and it was really cool to get such established and um, well-respected labels involved for the first one. I think they. it was also nice that they kind of realised that they hadn't been doing enough as well. And that's that was kind of one of the main points that we wanted the labels to um, take on board so that it makes the whole process worthwhile, you know, and they, they can continue on with this path. Exactly. I mean, it was just UK wide and it was just music producers. So we weren't looking for DJs because drum and bass in particular is so producer driven. It's the producers Absolutely. now that tend to get the gigs. It never used to be like that before you'd have your DJs and you'd have your producers. Now it's producer DJs. And so much of the narrative we were seeing was, but there's just not enough women producing, you know, they're all DJs. And so that's how you get the gigs. And so when we receive so many applications, you know, we like to think we've got our ear to the ground a little bit and we were like what yeah. like this is amazing <laughs> who are these women <laughs> who are these women yeah <laughs> exactly how do you match up the mentors and the mentees so it was just a matter of listening to their tracks um kind of yeah. having a peer at their social medias and websites where they had them actually I don't think there were many websites um but yeah just going by their style and sound um and on the application form we asked them who were their inspirations, who they'd like to be working with in the future, all that kind of th thing. So we kind of got a rough picture of who they are as producers. Um, and so, yeah, everyone picked, everyone who was shortlisted definitely suited the label that they would have gone on to have an interview with. And then it was down to the label owners and A&Rs to meet them on Zoom and then decide who they felt would um, be best suited to work with for a year. And each mentee would have two mentors. So one from the record label and one from EQ50. So it was okay. kind of this double-sided mentorship, if you like, that the labels are really focusing on, you know, technical ability and the creativity and being an artist and, you know, understanding, navigating your, your, your you know, your way around the industry. And we're kind of there for like support, cheerleading them on. <laughs> um, and, you know, should any issues arise, anything like that, that's what the EQ50 um, mentor was for. That's fantastic. It makes it all more well-rounded. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What do you find most fulfilling about mentorship and mentoring the next generation of producers? Um, seeing the progress and just, it's almost like, um, not a light switch is on, but just seeing their eyes light up at the fact that there's this really nice community around them now. And um, like we had a WhatsApp chat group with the mentees and us in it, um, the core EQ50 oh, wow. members. And um, it's gone a little bit quiet because obviously the first year is finished now, but it's just a space for people to share tracks with each other if they want to, um, just have little chit chats and just really support each other. Um, and it's really creating a community. Yeah, yeah, which is really of utmost importance. And I kind of wish that that was around when I was first starting. And, mm -hmm. and what's been really incredible is just seeing how many women there are now producing, DJing, starting to get into promoting as well. More women are popping up mm -hmm. um, compared to like years ago, even though there have <laughs> been a lot of women around, but it was kind of, we were a lot more spread out, you know. Um, and when I was first coming through, there weren't as many other women coming through at the same time. Like it was the kind of originators, old, old school Mm -hmm. then there was a little bit of a gap there was me maybe a couple of others after that and then there was another little gap so um yeah it's just incredible to see how many women are out there doing it now it's such a thrill to see 
young women coming through because the music and the culture is so important to all of us. And without this kind of each one teach one, um, you know, then what's going to happen to the music? You know, and and the music is it's so precious. It's like our whole lives we've dedicated to it. It's given us so much in in our lives that you feel like, well, we need like the young generation and energy and ideas to carry it forward. And there hasn't been, you know, a huge lot of movement with drum and bass. A lot of the top, top DJs have been the top, top DJs since, you know, inception, <laughs> basically, for like 30, from the beginning, from 30 years, which is which is really cool that, that they've still got the energy and the love and they're still completely dedicated to the music is brilliant. But, you know, there is a but. It's like we, we need young people coming through, new ideas. That's what pushes it forward. Um, and that's what is so thrilling for me yeah, to see. Yeah. And also to give the space for these young artists to be able to play and yeah. and get out there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think um, there, needs to, there needs to be a lot more thought about what kind of legacy people want to leave. Like it's fair enough still wanting to be involved um, so many years down the line um, we've all got things to contribute still but there still needs to be a little bit of space made and left for the newer generation and um, a lot of them are coming through and just kind of taking up space <laughs> there's like mm-hmm. there's no way you can stop them from doing that but I think a lot of the quote-unquote old guard need to think a little bit more about legacy and um, yeah just what the future is going to be like I want this to last forever. Everyone should want the scene to get even bigger and just grow yes. all the time. But um, yeah, I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any like highlights or proud moments of your mentees that you've seen after they finished the program? Oh, there was one last night. Yeah. Oh, wow. Nia Archives just won Best Producer at the NME Awards, which is yeah. I can't even put, yeah I can't even put into words like. We already, when she first applied, we were kind of already aware of her and we knew that she was going to go places. But to um, have her on the mentorship, working with V, which is one of her inspirational labels, like she idolises Ronnie Size and Lemon D. She uh, got to meet Ronnie Size um, and made a tune with him. I'm not sure if that's common knowledge, actually, but she went to his studio in Bristol and she's got to meet like other people, was on some crust one-to-one sessions. Um, But yeah, just seeing the progress that she's made and where she's headed is really quite something. She was definitely ready and hungry. Yeah, yeah, she's been working so hard. Really hard. And there's no one like her. No, there's she's absolutely. Re- she's just in her own lane. Do you know what I mean? You can't compare her to anyone that has been before or anything like that. She is just her, you know, and she's so unique. And we knew from the very beginning, you know, one of our things was like, yeah, but she's just going to smash it. She's gonna, she's just amazing. <laughs> like, do we take her on? And actually the supportive community was so important to her that I do think mm-hmm. it's helped. Um, but yeah, seeing her last night, I mean, enemy, that's just like, what? <laughs> like, massive. It's, yeah, you know, it's such a huge platform. And so to see her get that recognition, it, it's, it's amazing. We were like, so proud. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. was wonderful to see. Proud aunties. <laughs> Absolutely. I think um, our graduation, when we, we did, um, we hosted Room 3 at Fabric in December, which was when our mentorship came to an end. So all the mentees DJed, um, well, five out of six of them meant uh, DJed. Uh, we took over room three and it was absolutely firing on all cylinders yeah, from start vibe. to finish. And we'd never met each other. Um, we'd met one or two of them, but we'd never actually met in person because there were, you know, oh, wow. ones in Scotland and Bristol and from the Midlands and Sheffield. And of course the pandemic. So everything we'd done had been via Zoom and, you know, WhatsApp and stuff. So to all be together for that night. Um, and we have we have a mentor as well called Alison. She's based in uh, Paris and she really helps um, kind of organise and steer EQ50. She's been a huge source of support for us. She came from Paris for that night as well. So to all be together was like it, it was there was a lot of hands on our hearts. <laughs> you know, it was it was just a really, really beautiful night. And to see them all DJ um, and just totally destroy it that room was just absolutely vibing it was absolutely wonderful it was really mad as well because um obviously they each posted their set times and Nia played the opening set because she wasn't feeling very well and the way people ran upstairs to the room when it was opening (laughs) because it it opened at was it midnight I think our room opened 
Um, so obviously downstairs was already going. And yeah, the way people just ran into the room and then stayed yeah. there all night. We were, yeah, yeah, we were so proud of everybody. And they all played such varied sets because, you know, EQ50 were not about like a particular sound. We don't have a record label or anything like this. Like I said before, it's, it's industry wide across all types of all styles of drum and bass. So, you know, we ha we've got jump up. We've got the deeper sounds. We've got jungle. We've got the minimal stuff. We want to cover it all. Um, so that actually the, the night was just wicked because you had all these different styles. And, you know, there was a couple of moments where I was like, oh, I really hope the next DJ is going to be received OK, because it's a real switch in like vibe energy and it was just like boom everyone loving it <laughs> they were with us all night so it was wicked it just sounds like a lot of power and energy for this night mm. so i know that when you first started eq50 you were more um emphasizing the, the imbalance of the gender imbalance in drum and bass music when did it become clear that all aspects of diversity needed to be addressed in eq50 um well it's something that we've all known personally for a long time anyway um, I guess with EQ50, it was a little easier for us women to get together and focus on the gender issue um, because it is so glaringly obvious and has been. But also within that, within the gender issue, there's an ethnicity issue as well. Um, it's something a lot of us have been talking about for years, but I think, I don't know, when did we really start pushing that side as well I don't you know, remember when I, when I first put those stats up um a lot of people said I'd really love to see this break it broken down in terms of how many black people are on the lineups as well yeah. and I remember yeah. at the time that felt like something you just couldn't do yeah well and and the the reaction would have just been like completely shot down you know and even when we were thinking about the kind of steering group and who to bring in right at the beginning, Natalie was like, we need MC Chikabu. Not only is she an MC, she's black, she's queer. It's really important that our steering group has got a range of identities within it. Um, you know, women, it's it, it's a lot more straightforward to approach in a way because everyone's got sisters and mums and can see it. But when, you, when it comes to race... Um, again, there was a lot more pushback. Um, I can't, it wasn't like there was a turning point where it yeah, happened. Yeah, we decided, really. oh, we have to do this now. It just exactly. kind of happened naturally. I yeah. mean, yeah. obviously I'm black, mixed heritage, Boo is, Mantra's mixed heritage as well. Um, so it's not really, it, it's just a natural thing, you know, like we want to see more people like us. Exactly. Out there being booked, yeah. being paid properly. Um and there just hasn't been enough of that either. Like there's been a marked improvement in the numbers of women being booked. Um, some events are kind of going back to how they were before pre-pandemic um, and not really booking any women or you'll see one or two. But more often than not, it's white women still being booked. Um, so yeah. we still need to fight against that. Um, and it would be nice if we saw some of that coming from the men in the scene. Um, but yeah, we'll see how the rest of this year progresses, I guess. Pans out. It's hard. I hold these like kind of two views in my mind of on one hand, I look at how far we've come and how much change and progress has been made. And in a relatively short period of time, you know, particularly the last maybe three, four years, it's, it's amazing to see versus seeing so many events. I saw an event the other day, um, it's got Jungle in the title, huge lineup, loads of people, and it's about 95% white men, if not more. I couldn't actually be bothered to go through each person <laughs> and count it, I really don't have time for that. And it, it, it feels, to me, almost aggressive when I see a lineup like that. It's that, it's so, it almost feels deliberate, you know? Yeah. Like now, it, we've come way too far now to, no one can deny that it's an issue, yet you still think it's okay to put these lineups together. You claim to care about jungle and the music and the culture, and yet you think that's acceptable. Like, it makes me so angry. And so it's like you see these kind of things cropping up all the time. Every day you see it, and then also, but we've come so far, but oh my God, we've got so far to go. But, yeah, you know, yeah. it's these two kind it's of... It's like one step forward, two steps back all the time. Totally, totally. Yeah. Mm. The thing is, though, like especially the last, well, during the pandemic, really, there has been so much denial and pushback 
on what the roots of the music are, just trying to explain to people, even though it's been explained hundreds of times, the roots of jungle drum and bass are black. All the music that form jungle and drum and bass, that informed the music and make a part of it, are all black. Funk, hip-hop, soul, jazz. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's undeniable. And we still have this very big issue and problem in the scene where there are a lot of people who, yeah, they just don't like it being called black music. So that obviously feeds into who we're seeing on lineups and the lack of support for black women as well. We see the same thing in the in the techno industry as well. You know, techno originated in, in Detroit, but somehow over the years, things just started to change, get a bit, get quite diluted. And then when people are talking about the roots of the music, it's like, what? What do you mean it started here? No, it started over here. And then you have this big debate. We've, we have a long way to go to bring music back to the roots of where it came from. And it's so important to acknowledge it, you know, because this is what so many of us have made careers out of, you know, and to respect it and it's sacred you know this music is so important to us that if you're not acknowledging the the founding you know pioneers who really formed this music that we all love so much all these years later we are still completely obsessed with it um it's very difficult if if people are actively not listening you know it's ignorant it's white privilege and it's racist you know and it's it's exhausting because Sometimes with these conversations, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for people who can go online and kind of debate for hours on end. But after a time, it is, you know, if people aren't going to listen, you know, what can you do? It's so frustrating. Um, and I feel like particularly with EQ50, and this is for me talking as a, you know, I'm a white bodied woman, even though I am mixed, I go through life perceived as a white woman. I get exhausted by these conversations, let alone the burden that it takes on black people having to try and explain the same things over and over again when people are just not willing to listen. It can be really disheartening at yeah, times, yeah. really disheartening. I said this to, um, so an interview that I recorded with uh, a young new producer who's coming through No Nation for his show on Subtle Radio recently. And um, it aired this week, actually, the week we're recording this. Um and I said to him, like, all the fighting that we've had to do as women to fight for space, make our own space and be able to contribute to this scene as black people trying to reclaim our space. If we hadn't have been having to fight so much, like all of that time would have been better spent elsewhere making music. I probably would have released an album or two by now. You know, I would have got heavily into production, but... As Mantra says, it's really exhausting and disheartening to just keep coming up against these attitudes. Um, and yeah, I'm quite surprised that a lot of us have stayed with it for so long. But we love the music that deeply. Like, it's us. I am the music. The music is me. And there's no way I'm going to let anybody change it to how they want it to be. I'm staying here. I'm staying put, you know. Um yeah, it's, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's really, really, really tiring. Yeah, and I guess that's also one of the benefits and one of the great things about the, the mentorship that you guys do. It's like you really are paving the way for the next generation. You guys, all of your efforts will make this a better industry for the people coming later on. So this is all time well spent in mm. a way. Yeah, definitely. And it's, and it's just um, passing on what was given to us, really. So the women who paved the way before I was around and then helped me come through, um, you know, not just Chemistry and Storm, but Joe and Sarah, who have worked at Reinforce, Metalheads and loads of places over the years, they really had my back and helped me a lot from when I was first playing for Metalheads, but then pretty much looking after me, you know, Joe became my agent for a while and I always have to give them a shout because not enough people know who they are and what they've done. And it would be really great to have their stories put out there as well. And what would be a way to get these stories out? If they said yes to an interview. Got to <laughs> persuade them first. Yeah, they're quite shy. <laughs> they're quite shy. So um, I think it was, I don't know what year it was. Was it 2019 when I did the Black History Month posts? So it was, yeah, just throughout October um, in 2019, Every day I just did a post on a different black woman who's been involved mm. in UK jungle drum and bass. And mm. um, 
we've kind of wanted to take that a lot bigger um and we've tried to get well we had joe involved in a, a bbc introducing kind of day festival thing a panel and uh but yeah trying to get zara involved she's quite shy <laughs> she's not shy when you meet her but yeah yeah just putting her she, in front of a microphone or a camera she's like no. <laughs> no she actually gave me my first booking I remember um posting her a cd in the post and I'll never forget the call when she actually called Joe or Zara but Zara cool. Zara uh it was at Herbal yeah nice so and, and that's so massive you know these people that give you your first break like that like you will never forget that moment that feeling mm. of it's just complete elation yeah you know it's really really powerful and um, the impact that that has yeah and yeah so yeah so we realize like the importance of passing that on to the next generations so you mentioned you mentioned a bit earlier of course how drum and bass was you know drum and bass was influenced by black music by hip-hop and reggae and soul you said it really was a melting pot of culture so what do you think's happened over the years to cause such an imbalance with the scene um, racially and also with gender? It's been a whole lot of different things. So firstly, the, I will use this word on purpose, the criminalization of the word jungle, the name jungle. Um, it became a lot harder for black promoters to hire venues and clubs. So there was a thing called Form 696 here in the UK and... Um, it was used for any black promoters that wanted to put on an event. They would have to fill out this form and that included the names and addresses and contact info for everyone who was performing. And the police could use this to stop the event from going ahead. It was used on a lot of grime events, but it was it was happening to jungle and drum and bass promoters as well. I think if a as, DJ had played at a club that there had yeah, been a bit of trouble at, they then could they be blacklisted just, as well. Exactly. Um but yeah, over the years, as the music got bigger and spread, obviously the UK is predominantly white, so you're going to get a majority of white people into it. Um, but as it changed, and yeah, with the the um, the term jungle not being in favour anymore, and the media starting to run with the term intelligent and drum and bass, and then you were seeing some artists elevated over others basically anything that sounded really black like dancehall um reggae vibes a lot of mcs and lyrics and chatting that was kind of starting to be banished and the intelligent more instrumental deeper stuff took over and the media ran with that and um it's not really something that i've seen many people talk about but i feel like there was an element of colorism in that as well because even though they were making and pushing really incredible music, Goldie with Metalheads, light-skinned frontman, black, mixed heritage, LTJ Bookham, light-skinned guy. Um, so I think that kind of... Ronnie Size. Yep, Ronnie Size as well. Um, I think that all kind of added into the mix. And so, yeah, then moving on to more um, white people promoting and running labels and as they were getting bigger it wasn't reciprocated in the same way that black people had booked and given opportunities to white DJs and producers and it's just snowballed since then yeah and do you find since Black Lives Matter has happened um, a couple of years ago do you see more of a resurgence of more people of color more black people into the drum and bass scene more young like artists of color are you seeing more of this since then no there are less and I don't know why <laughs> There's less. There are fewer, yeah. I've had the conversation with um, uh, a bit with Mark Mack and some other people um, for the episode of my Windrush Stories podcast, and he said he'd noticed it. I'm seeing fewer black people in the clubs and in raves. I don't know why. It's I don't know. It's I agree. An yeah, it's an anomaly. But I do think that there I see a handful of young black artists who I think, I mean, Nia being one of them, uh, Sheba Q and No Nation, um, Aya Batari from Queer Rave, who are, with a bit of time, they're more looking at it, you know, at approaching this scene in the sense of building their own communities. So I feel like 
in a bit of time, I'm, I'm hopeful that they will be leaders in forging their own spaces uh, because it is it is quite shocking sometimes. You're looking around, you're thinking, this is just wild, you know, like how few young black people there are here. But I do think that we, I, I know, like I said, a handful of these amazing young black artists who I have a lot of faith in and optimism for flying the flag for the future and inspiring a new generation of young black people to get involved and be involved and show that there is space for them to be involved. Yeah, totally. I think a lot of um, responsibility was kind of placed on Sherelle's shoulders in that respect. And I don't want to speak for her, but yeah, I definitely saw that. And maybe we kind of put a little bit of hope in her in that regard as well. But they're all artists who really respect the heritage and the roots of the music. And it's where their own families have come from, you know, Um it's in their own personal heritage, some of them as well. So it's re- yeah, it's really amazing to see that um, people trying to, the younger people trying to kind of carry through the roots of the music, um, paying homage to the past, but also adding their own spin onto it. And not just seeing it as a commodity about what they can get out yeah, of it, you know, yeah. but thinking how can they contribute and be part of it. Um, and that's the most meaningful way to be part of any industry really you know so it's the 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 intention is so pure um which again fills me with a lot of hope are there any other obstacles that you feel that women and marginalized communities are facing in the music industry being paid fairly is probably quite a big one for me i feel like it needs to be every section of the industry needs to really play their part um, there's not it's not one thing you know there's a lot of things that people need to do and that can be you know big programs like starting up a mentorship for us that's so important and is really key but I also think there's a lot of value in small conversations that you have around you I really don't think like a couple I can't talk about it right now but a couple of things have happened to me in my career that I know is because someone had a conversation with that person and it planted a seed about me. So I'm always really conscious of that, whether I'm playing somewhere or whatever, name check people to promoters. Do you know what I mean? Like name check some wicked women that, you know, so if I'm playing somewhere, it's like, oh, I love that. Thank you. You know, you should really check out this artist and this artist. They're really killing it at the moment. And even if it looks like they're ignoring you, trust me, it goes in, you know? So these small conversations as well are, ha- have a lot of power in them. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, from record labels, from venues, you know, in terms of making sure that venues are a lot more conscious now about making spaces safe, you know, and the safer women feel, the more likely they are to come out to these places and bring their mates to them. So, you know, there's labels, record labels and venues and, you know, even with with producers, I mean, I was thinking about it and about just diversity and inclusion on a kind of wider scale and particularly in jungle, I don't see it in any other genre like, like you do with jungle, is the whole like culture vulture idea of just taking samples that people don't really know what they mean but it's got like a highly selassie or a jar in it and just it sounds really cool so you're going to put it in your music you know but the other day David played me this tune and I'm not even going to say what the lyrics were because they were so offensive made by like a young white man who had no idea what they even meant but it sounds cool because it's ragga and it's from a clash do you know what I mean and it's these things I think now it's so important to really think about where are you sourcing your music from where do these samples come from and to respect the the samples because we are a sample based music that's what we're kind of built on Um, but I think now for sure I would hope that people are giving these things a little bit more thought Um, you know but I think a lot of people aren't (laughs) well especially because jungle's getting so popular now isn't it so lots of people are kind of jumping on it yeah 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 but this this is all like part and parcel of the conversation regarding the roots of the music as you kind of just mentioned but um it's funny because one of our uh, masterclasses during the mentorship was by Quartz who's a rupture metalheads artist, really amazing, wicked producer. He's one of my favourites. He ran a session on sampling because he absolutely loves sampling, but he went really deep with it. And I did ask him what he thinks, what his thoughts on the ethics of sampling. And this is obviously following on from the Black Lives Matter resurgence and people saying, oh, I didn't realise things were this bad and blah, blah, blah. But then 
like Mantra says, they're just going back to ripping any old track that they think sounds cool. It's like, well, no, you need to think a bit more about this because if you're sampling it illegally, technically, that means the artist isn't going to see any money from it, but you will maybe see a little bit. B, what are you giving back to any of these communities? Do you even mix in these communities to begin with? And there's all these kind of things that I think a lot of people just don't think about. It's so disrespectful. Mm. It's really disrespectful, yeah. you know, and it's like, I think, you know, I I make music, I love sampling um, and I sample from some, you know, old sound system clashes, but, I, but I, I can't make a tune that's talking about like Rastafari and Jar because that's not me. And no matter how good it sounds, I feel like a fraud. Do you know what I mean? I feel like actually when you're talking about something so deep and sacred to this huge community, like who am I to just take it and, and put it on a tune, you know? And it's mm-hmm. about finding, um, just just giving it some thought. And you're right though, Natalie, sometimes, you know, it seems so glaringly obvious and just, well, yeah, obviously you're going to think about these things, but there just isn't that thought put in because again like Natalie says if you're not acknowledging the roots and not acknowledging how important it is to pay pay respect to you know the source that you're sampling from then it isn't really on your radar which Mm. again is kind of white privilege you know yeah Yeah, it's again it's like it's cultural appropriation and um, just not thinking about how those communities have been persecuted so much over the years like Rasta's it's only just become cool in more recent years for people to have locks. Like I remember this is kind of segueing quite away from from what we're talking about, but it's all part it's okay. and parcel. But I remember yeah. when I first started growing locks and um, you wouldn't really see that many women with locks unless they were Rasta. And uh, yeah, now you're just seeing quite a few any 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 old person with them <laughs> um but yeah it's all part and parcel it's kind of like it's seen as a costume as long as there's some red yellow and green a bit of spliff and a bit of a reggae or sound clash sample people think it's okay but it's like no what you're doing is actually really offensive i, th- I think that people are starting to recognize this a little bit more and more about this cultural appropriation. And of course, it's nice to pay respect to people's culture and maybe having elements of this in your fashion. But when you start to embody all of it, that's a whole other whole other yeah. level. Yeah. Um, Mantra, I want to go back to something that you said a little bit earlier uh, when you were discussing um, some of the lineups that you've seen recently and seeing that it's pretty much all, all, all men pretty much on, on lineups and how we thought we've come a little bit further. So do do you do anything about this like say you are are trying to like some do you um do anything about this when you're um when someone's aiming to book you and you ask them who's on the lineup and you see that maybe you're one of the only women on the lineup do you say something to the promoters and see if they're intending on have, having a more diverse lineup or for you end up or if you end up being like the token woman on this on this lineup yeah absolutely i mean in terms of with my bookings i have an agent so a lot of the time you don't know what conversations are being had in the background um, yeah. but i do have an inclusion rider um okay. which i've only actually just put into place i've been really slack about it because also inclusion riders are really important but they're way more important for men to have than women mm-hmm. because we are the inclusion rider <laughs> we are the you know what i mean it's like I, I do think it's very important um it's 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 helpful for men to have these riders in place um but yeah i mean i my agent is very aware of my position about playing on um, lineups that are kind of all male dominated and you know since things have kind of opened up and everything it kind of it, it's been all right it's it's been um a lot of the lineups I've been on have, have been you know diverse enough for me to play on them and what about you um flight um have you been yeah so my agent knows as well and she always keeps an eye on how many women are being booked and she knows that there are people that I like to suggest to promoters, um, particularly MCs, because I'm noticing there are quite a few events who don't really like booking MCs as much. Um, And it's really important to see more women as MCs being booked in drum and bass and jungle parties. Um, Yeah, there's, it just made this part of the conversation just made me think of a recent booking where I knew I was definitely the token. There was another woman on the lineup 
but she played early and I was the only black person. And then I didn't even appear in any photos from the event. I was kind of seen in the background of someone else who was playing. Um, and I just thought, you know what? I'm not really interested in doing those kind of events anymore. I've done enough of those in the past. And what do you think about quotas? It's a tough one because yeah, no. I think <laughs> yeah. I think in some ways um, they're quite ridiculous because I don't feel people should have to be forced to do that. They should naturally be thinking in the right way already. But also with other people, I think it would need to be forced on them. Um, I mean, there's a big organisation who were called out a couple of years ago for their really overly white male heavy lineups and they're actually doing a lot better now but that's partly because they're kind of bringing in a lot of other labels and promotions to kind of pad out the state or take over the stages at their big events um, I think fear of being called out is a great motivator yeah. for people to be more inclusive you it's know whether really it's genuine or now. not you know <laughs> and it's, it's easy to do you know everything's yeah. online so yeah, so it's a t- yeah, I, I don't I don't really veer either way on that question. Yeah, it's interesting with with quotas, you know, when people say okay, we need like 50% women, 50% people of color. I think that of course it's going to take some it takes some time to get there, but it's the it's the tokenism sometimes that that can that that bothers me, you know, yeah. when we when we know that we're the we're the token black woman or token woman. I remember I was I was um it was, it was a story that happened to me, I think it was sometime during Black Lives Matter time, I guess maybe 2020, beginning 2021, when someone had asked me to host some content on their on their site. They were just starting up um, a video channel and they wanted um, they wanted a host. And because I do this quite a bit, I do, I do quite a few um, panel discussions and moderate, etc. So they asked if I wanted to do this. And I thought, yeah, this, this, sounds, this sounds like a great idea. And so I followed up maybe a week later and I sent them some links to what I'd done in the past. And then I got an email maybe a week after that where they said, okay, Lindy, yeah, you know, I've spoke to the team and um, I think we're going to hold this until International Women's Day or Black History oh Month my God. When, they need, when they need more people. <laughs> and Mm-mm. that was the first time that it happened to me. And I was just like, what, what, what is me being a woman or me being a black woman have anything to do with my talent and what I'm capable of doing? And this was one of the, one of the biggest, yeah, this one of the biggest um, kind of slaps in the face I've had that this kind of tokenism is so real. And this was a huge company as well. People just don't think it, because no. it doesn't affect them in any way and they've never had to mm-hmm. deal with anything, anything like that. So, yeah. Shove it. (laughs) (laughs) I think as well, as long as like you want promoters just to have the intention and for them to be showing that they're putting an effort of looking at different pools of talent, you know, and and, and if things are so rigid with quotas, it can be a bit tricky. That's when tokenism can come into play. But -hmm. I think it needs to be flexible. But, you know, if you see the intention is there to try and be more inclusive and looking at kind of, you know, like I said, these different pools, then that is what is really effective. And that at least shows that they're on the right track. Mm. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, if you're, if you're a programmer or you're programming, programming a festival or, even even running a record label, would you want to have some of these diverse diverse talent? I think it's also really important, like behind the scenes, that you have people that are diverse that are decision makers. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. You know, people that are that are people that are part of these communities that you would like to tap into, that are able to, you know, give them pay them for their work and be able to tap in and invite these communities into this festival or to these labels. Mm. It kind of makes you wonder what their personal lives are like. Like, who are they surrounded by? Who are their friends? Who makes up their family? It must be very homogenous, if I've used the right word. <laughs> I don't understand why people don't want to reflect the the society that we live in. Step by step, I think. I guess. We've been stepping for miles and miles. <laughs> <laughs> That's why um, we're lucky we have each other, honestly, yeah, within yeah. our core EQ50 group to be able to be like, blah, oh my God. <laughs> it's such a support network for us as well, mm. you know? Yeah, we've we've become real rocks for each other over the last couple of years, definitely. Yeah. So in terms of the, of the music business, you know, what are some solutions that not only men, but promoters, agents, management, PR, what can everyone do to move us forward? I think just take a little more care and consideration 
about what you're doing. Um, not just what you can get out of the music and the scene, but what you can add to it in a very positive way. How can you be more welcoming to a broad range of people? How can we truly reflect society, the society that we live in? Like a lot of the labels and agencies are based in London, but you wouldn't think so. Or some of the big cities in the UK that are very mixed um, ethnically, um, various genders, you know, sexualities. But you wouldn't think so to look at what they promote. So I think, yeah, just think about, really think about what it is you're doing. And again, legacy, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? Is this is this the image that you want to be the everlasting image of you and what you do? It's so important to think who's included, who's excluded. And if people, you know, music is, I keep using the word sacred. I need to think of another word. But it's so, <laughs> it is, it's so sacred to us all. You can't even put in, it into words. And so surely if you're lucky enough to be working in the music industry, the whole point is to make the music better and to make the industry better. And, you know, these we need a diverse ecosystem within that. It makes, it just feeds better ideas, more imagination, better music, you know, better raves. It makes life better <laughs> in like every sense of the word. The best raves you go to were like in the middle of the dance floor and you're looking around and everyone just comes from all walks of life. That's the power of music is being able to bring everyone together and unite everyone together on the dance floor. It is that powerful. It's radical, you know, and it's it's uh, it's so important that people who are lucky enough to be, you know, involved in it and, and to have authority and be decision makers realise the power that they do have and act on it. Maybe they do and are. <laughs> yeah, well, I <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Mm. Um, so one another question I had about just relating to EQ50. Um, are you ever approached by brands or people who would like to collaborate for partnerships? And how do you handle these requests? And how do you filter through the ones that you know um, are there for the right reasons or just would like to align with EQ50 for the possibly wrong reasons? Um, we can kind of pick up on which vibe they have straight away. Mm -hmm. As soon as you started asking that question, I just immediately thought back to an incident that Man Mantra actually dealt with, um, oh, with yeah. <laughs> some people actually offering some money to kind of, I guess, I don't know, have a stake in EQ50, sort of. Do you even remember that? Yes. <laughs> I was like, where's she going with yeah. this one? I've got no idea. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, offering yeah. a chunk of money that would have been amazing for us to get our hands on. We could have done so much with it, but it just didn't sound or feel right. Um, yeah, sometimes we get like messages on Instagram or whatever that Sweet Pea deals with, or we get emails coming in um, and people kind of want to be involved because... They kind of think that what we're doing is cool um, and they want to take a little bit of that shine, you know, but there are a lot of genuine people out there as well. And even though we don't have time for everything, like we're all busy with kids or working full time jobs on top of doing EQ50 stuff and DJ and gigging, um, we haven't been able to do everything that's come in. But I think the way it's panned out and how it's all progressed really organically. We've we've worked with the right people up to now. Great. Yeah. There is also a line where you can have an organisation who perhaps doesn't have the best track record, but if you look at the record labels that we worked with, with the mentorship, they didn't have a good track record at all. Mm. But we worked with them because somewhere. well exactly yeah. do you know what i mean it's like otherwise we wouldn't be working with we'd be working with so few people um <laughs> and in our next round of we're going to do another mentorship we're going to start um, another mentorship in a couple of months the record labels that we're looking at don't have great track records no none of them do but that's the point you know yeah. it's like you can't just close the door and and not work with people it's about kind of having an openness and a willingness to collaborate and as long as they have a real openness and willingness to learn then then it's going to work, you know. But there's there's a couple of brands. Remember, we got approached by doing something with Nike, and we were just like, yeah, like, no, nah, it just feels a bit bait, you know. And <laughs> even though it kind of looks good on paper, you kind of break it down, and they're not the most ethical company, and we didn't really need it at the time. So I think, you know, it, we're not a hype machine, you know. We're not looking mm. for hype labels to work with or anything like that. 
Um, and we've got, there's there's four of us to make these decisions. It's never just one person. I think that's what's been so nice about it is, you know, Natalie and myself, we co-convene it, manage it if you like, are responsible for the emails, but it is very much a collective mm. in the true sense of the word. Like everyone's opinion is so important and so valid. And I think that's what's made us be able to work so well together. There's not, It's not about ego. This is way bigger than any of us. And when I was in hospital for such a long time with my baby and this was like the biggest project we were doing with this mentorship, it was, I just felt so blessed to have them there knowing that it's fine. I'm, I've, I need to check out of everything right now and just be here and they are going to smash it and choose the right producers and just be able to carry the project forward. When when initiatives and stuff become about a person, it's really dangerous and, and that's why I think they don't work and don't have longevity. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it, it was never about us. It was just about us coming together and using our platforms for other people. And and for someone that's just getting more into the drum and bass scene, what would be something that you would want them to understand about the culture that maybe they might otherwise not know? Mm. It depends how they're getting into it. If they're just a raver, just explore listen to all the different subgenres, go to as many different events as you can, see as many different types of DJs as you can and just fall in love with it all. If you want to be involved in the scene itself as a producer, MC, DJ, promoter, whatever it is, label owner, learn, learn about the history. There's a wealth of incredible, absolutely incredible music, artists, labels, radio shows out there There's so much you can learn from and enjoy. It's a shame when I see people kind of pushing back against that. I think it's slightly younger people who are like producing and are just really hungry to get involved. But the more you learn about the music, the better your sound will be. And you'll know what other people have done, like what their inspirations were, so that you can inform yourself in a slightly different way and like add try and add your own unique spin on things but yeah just learn soak up as much as possible i'm i'm still learning there's so much that i haven't heard um that i've never come across before from like the past and stuff but yeah there's so much out there so much it really is like the more you know the more you don't know you know as soon as you start <laughs> digging it just creates new pathways and linking up kind of different labels oh my god that was owned by that person mm-hmm. and then that was a sub label and it's it's fascinating and it's the best world to be part of I would say that I feel um without I don't want to sound like a dinosaur now but I, I do think with like social media we're seen before we're heard and with some young DJs that I see coming through, I'm actually really lucky that I didn't have social media when I started. So I've played hundreds of shit gigs. I've had everything go wrong with the equipment. I've, you know, you, you're you waiting around at squat parties all night till like nine in the morning so you can get your, get your set. Everyone's bullying you. I'm jumping in front of you. Bollocks, I've got to wait another hour now, you know? All that kind of stuff, it creates grit and makes you realise that this is all you want and that the knockback after knockback after, it builds you. And I see sometimes that some of the newer artists coming through seem to really skyrocket and and that can be brilliant, but also sometimes the expectation um, of people wanting to be involved in any kind of music genre is quite high and they think that you know oh, I've been doing this for two years I've been grafting really hard and I'm still not getting the bookings and you're like babes that's nothing like mm, it takes gotta pay your dues you've got uh, your stripes <laughs> totally yeah. you know um, and you know it's great but you know I mean Sh- Sherelle she like overnight blew up but she, she actually she'd been working she'd been for DJing years. for a- yeah. ages and working for years and was so embedded um and so, you know, there's, there's there's people like that where you can have, you know, your boiler room moment and that's brilliant. But but I have seen, there's been a few younger artists that I've seen coming through that aren't playing out that much and their expectation for fees and set times and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, hang on a minute. <laughs> Easy, all right? Easy. <laughs> it will come, you know, yeah. like it will yeah. come. Don't worry. Well, that's, yeah. the, that's the um, thing as well. Like I would almost say to people, don't aim to blow up because... You could blow up and then be coming back down after a couple of years and be completely burned out. The thing that you want to have is longevity. And to have longevity in the music, you've got to have a lot of integrity about you. You know, you've got to be in it for the right reasons. You have to present yourself in the right way. Um, yeah, I don't know why anyone would want to be a quick flash in the pan. Um, yeah. 
and just like using myself as an example. I've been around a long time now. I started mixing and DJing in 97 and that's it's actually 25 years of flight later this year like in November will mark the 25th anniversary of me and my first DJ gig which is mental to me like I can't quite kind of get to grips with the, with that that that's actually happened and I'm still around now but that's what a lot of people should be aiming for look at Fabio and Groove Rider like they birthed that helped birth this music but they were DJing before that playing rare groove and soul and stuff and this is what people should be aiming for is just to if you're really that passionate about music and this music in particular, you want to be in it for the long haul. Well, thank you so much, ladies. It was really a pleasure to speak with you today. And yeah, thanks mm-hmm. a lot. I appreciate All it. Right. Yes. All right. So we take care. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you liked this episode. I definitely enjoyed speaking to these incredibly inspirational women. If you like, there are many other Electronic Beats podcast episodes that you can find on the usual podcast platforms. We'd be happy for you to check them out and subscribe, or leave us some feedback on our social media channels. Thanks, and see you next time.